Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Let's get into, you know, Victor, you wrote this great post uh, comparing micro-ability and uh, ride-sharing. And I'm curious, you know, where, where it's, uh, if you get into sort of where it overlaps, where are the big differences, and maybe what are other perhaps better analogies for where micro-mobility should, should look to? Yeah, so we've sort of dug into it. I think the, the biggest two differences are ride-sharing has a flywheel between drivers and riders. More drivers mean that riders will have quicker pickup times and have a better experience. And then more riders means that drivers will have more work and will be happier and make more money, which leads to more riders. So you get this virtuous cycle where the marketplace cements itself, where in scooters, the supply side of the marketplace is just buying scooters and putting them out. So every you can, you can blanket a city with scooters without hiring thousands of drivers and getting them to rent out their personal car to strangers. So it's an easier proposition of creating that marketplace. And then the other side is on the customer acquisition side of the ride-sharing companies really have to educate people and market to get somebody to download their app. And the brand really matters because you can't see which driver is going to come pick you up. Uber has to do a lot to say, hey, our drivers aren't going to kill you. They're not going to kidnap you. Or if you start a shady ride-sharing service and you have a few bad articles, no one's going to want to use your product. Where we're seeing on the micromobility side, the scooter's right in front of you. So there's no marketing needed to start to know about you can use the scooter to get from here to work. And the brand doesn't matter because you can see if the scooter's broken right in front of you. Are, are there uh, analogies of other industries that we should we should look to that make more sense? I think it's tough. It, it's it's definitely a weird a weird industry <laughs> in the way I see it. I see it the way it can play out in terms of franchises and winning government permits, where a lot of the industry is gated on winning a city permit, and cities are saying. We're capping the number of scooters and you can only have three or four operators in a city. So that reminds me a little bit of taxi medallions, a little bit of car dealerships where they win regional exclusivity and buy cars and rent them or sell them in their area. And then you have the traditional franchise chains of restaurants. So I think there's that component is there uh, in terms of the local Location matters more than anything, uh, where you'll go to the nearest McDonald's and that McDonald's will have a monopoly in that small area. Say more about will, will governments subsidize uh, micromobility or what will, how will regulation evolve? Yeah, I think Michael's, I, to add on to that question, I think Michael would be a good one to answer this. And I'm curious what he would do as mayor of a city. Let's say he's mayor of New York. Like, What's going to happen and what would he do? Tell us de Blasio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So for maybe the first part of the question, 
will government subsidize micromobility? That's actually already happening. Uh, you know, San Francisco Bay Wheels uh, lift bikes or, uh, you know, New York City bikes are deploy- actively deploying electric bicycles in their uh, dock bike share fleets. And a lot of that is subsidized uh, by government or by ad revenue uh, on the actual dock bike shares. Uh, but I was, you know, I've talked to Victor about this uh, before, but I definitely see, you know, smaller mid-tier uh, cities, towns, villages, whatever you want to call them, deploy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> deploying and uh, subsidizing their own scooter and, you know, electric bike share fleets as a form of public transportation. And, you know, that's one area I, I've been looking at and really excited about because the, the, the fun thing about watching micromobility is not just for the LA's or San Francisco's or New York's of the world. It's, it's working in cities like Spokane, Washington with, uh, you know, a hundred thousand plus people and also smaller cities uh, you know, around the country, around, around the world. Um, and so the, for me, you know, if I were the, the, the mayor of New York city or a mayor of another town, uh, I would want to create regulatory framework that is flexible for micromobility. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, but scooters have really been out around for the last 18 months. We, you know, no one could have predicted that, uh, you know, the toy electric scooter that we grew up with as, as kids would be deployed, you know, at scale around the world uh, and, you know, really explode like that. Um, so when, when you're creating a framework, you really need to be adaptable to how the hardware evolves. Will the scooters have three wheels? Will they even be a scooter? Will it be a e-bike moped hybrid thing? We don't know. And I would love, you know, for cities to create rules and regulations that are adaptable and allow entrepreneurs like Victor or whoever to try new things. Um, I'll give a couple examples of that. There's wheels uh, down in Southern California, which have this hybrid bike seated scooter thing, miniature scooter thing. And then you have a company actually out of Seattle in Portland, Oregon called Share Technology, which is a giant kind of like a, I call it a bird XL, but it's a giant uh, hundred pound scooter uh, with 11 inch tires. That's super it's like nice. the Harley, right? It's the yeah. Harley of scooters. Yeah. The Harley of scooters. But, you know, as a, as a regulator, I, I want to have that framework where it's flexible, uh, and adaptable, uh, and also dynamic. So what I mean by dynamic is that I don't want to just cap the number of vehicles in the city and say, well, you know, this is, you can only have 200 vehicles for the next two years. You know, you don't give the, the, the industry the breathe and the industry room to grow. I look at cities like uh, Austin, Texas, uh, where they allow operators to grow the number of vehicles they're allowed to deploy in line with the number of rides each vehicle per day serves. And so that's, you know, that, that would be kind of my regulatory framework and uh, my platform if I, if I were in charge of a city, you know, really to and what I've been seeing is that cities like micromobility. They like alternatives to car, uh, uh, you know, a transportation mode that actually complements public transportation. That's huge for cities and planners and policymakers. You know, what I'm seeing is that cities are getting the most pushback from folks who don't want to give up a parking spot and transform that into a dockless scooter bike parking or 
removing a car lane and transforming that into a bike lane. And that's where we're seeing this friction happening in cities. And a lot of politicians are stalling uh, on making the changes and, and, and doing something that is politically inconvenient for them uh, to make micromobility grow even quicker than it is right now. Totally. Talk a little bit more about how you see consolidation playing out among the among big players. How's it going to shake out? Uh, you know, from my perspective, I think you can have a standalone business in the micromobility space, specifically scooters. There's been a lot of skepticism, obviously, over the last year with unit economics and, and, and profitability. But I, I believe that there will be at least one or two big players, similar to how Uber and, you know, the ride-hailing market, there's one or two uh, regional big players in Asia, North America, Europe, Africa, and Southeast Asia. But like, uh, you know, how I, how I view it is, again, similar uh, to how we see convenience stores in, in across, uh, across the world. You see 7-Elevens in countries all around the world, but you also see uh, the smaller local entrepreneur who has a neighborhood uh, convenience store. And I think there's room for both. Uh, moving forward, I think there's room to have that mega player in each city, uh, but also those small mom and pop sh- shops that are serving specific geographies or neighborhoods in the city and specific groups of people. And, and for me, like looking, a lot of people are have said, "Oh, why can't Uber and Lyft do this?" Well, they can and they are, but they're not necessarily winning the market or investing a lot of resources in that, and they can't move really as quickly as some of these super focused. Micromobility-only players are in the market. I'm thinking about it from Bird and Lime's perspective, and most companies I wouldn't want to buy, <laughs> even if they're doing okay in their market. If I think I can do a better job than them, I want to compete with them on permits and try to win them out. If somebody has a better vehicle, then I want to buy that manufacturer or partner with that manufacturer. I don't think there's much to gain in buying companies, especially that you're in already in their market because you can already spin up competition there if you have the scooters and the, the software. So uh, bird buying uh, scoot, I think is a big exception to this rule where scoot was basically going under and Bird needed a San Francisco presence and saw an opportunity to expand there cheaply when the San Francisco permit, which is a really weird city for a lot of reasons, and also is an amazing advertising city as the head of tech. So Bird buying Scoot is a, an exception to the rule, and we aren't going to see a lot more acquisitions and consolidation. We may see companies go, not succeeding and going under, but I don't think we'll see acquisitions. Does Grin become a, a an independent public company? I think so. Yeah, like I, I would I would push back on on, uh, on Victor just for a second. I, I you know yeah, Scoot or sorry, Bird bought Scoot, and now it's kind of a brand inside the Uber or Bird's platform. But you know, look at Grin; they're the powerhouse in South America. They actually consolidated already and merged with uh, a Brazilian scooter company, bike company called Yellow, uh, and formed a new uh, super regional player called Grow. They acquired a few other smaller South American LATAM companies as well, uh, but they're letting them keep the branding and kind of keep that local 
uh, flavor. So I, I can see, you know, uh, a, you know, super regional player owning multiple skater companies, uh, especially in this market. Like Victor said earlier, that the, the city permits are everything, and you know, some some of the time you need a, a, a hyper localized player uh, who's or able to work with that city government in their language and know their cultural customs to uh, you know really understand how to get into a city and unlock a city for them. And, and you know, and, and going back to Bird Platform. Uh, or what Bird's doing with Scoot, you open the Bird app and you see Scoot vehicles in the Bird product uh, consumer app today. Uh, but if you go to Chicago, Bird has actually opened up their platform to uh, third-party providers like Sherpa Scooters, and you can see Bird Scooters and Sherpa Scooters in Chicago right now. And Bird effectively doubled the number of permits they have in that region, which means more trips per vehicle per day and more rides and more market share. Um, so we're seeing a lot of different experiments in how the market's consolidating, whether that's through acquisition or through aggregation uh, or, or, or mergers. So I, I, we can't really predict what's going to happen, but I, I see a lot more experiments coming on uh, next, next, next year, really, especially on the Europe side where there's 10, 20, 30 different companies out there. The, how should we think about the vehicles of the future? You know, the e-bike versus scooter versus seated scooter. What's going to win out or be the most popular? And and some of the, how should we think about self-driving here? I see the scooters as the real proven, the proven vehicle to get new riders using micromobility. Scooters are the best entry point where you put them out and people will ride them no one's really figured out what aspect of that it is, but it's the, you can get on a scooter and riding in under 15 seconds if everything goes well. Uh, so it's like really, really low activation energy. And a lot of people see them as easier to ride than a bike, where I think people who don't know how to ride a bike can still ride a scooter. So scooters are the, the wedge that are opening it for the other vehicles uh, I personally like the electric bikes the best, and I'm really excited about more uh, electric bikes that can extend your trip comfortably longer, and they have baskets for you to put stuff in. So I see the market evolving with different vehicles for different geographies and different purposes. San Francisco is so hilly that it's going to be a while before we have a scooter that can really go up the hills. And mopeds and electric bikes may be the best vehicles in San Francisco. But uh, in Santa Monica, maybe a beach cruiser or a scooter is going to be more popular. Or when you want to pick up stuff from the grocery store, maybe you get a cargo bike uh, that's docked at the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, I once made fun of scooters, but I quickly saw the mass appeal. I still don't quite get it, but... uh, (laughs) I, I always like to compare it to the moving sidewalk at airports. It's accessible to nearly everybody uh, and people normally just choose it and go on it. Uh, and that's very similar to scooters where it's accessible to the masses, even folks with disabilities. I've seen, you know, attach their wheelchair to a scooter and get around in the bike lane. And that's really exciting because it's it, scooters are the entry point into the world of micromobility and 
not just into vehicle form factors, but getting people to think differently about transportation. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges we have in the U.S. where we're a car dominant culture for the last nearly 100 years uh, and getting people to think that there's other modes or like there's choices outside of owning a vehicle and using uh, your automobile for every transportation choice. And scooters are really unlocking that in people's minds. Uh, and, you know, what I'm excited about in terms of form factors, uh, I don't know what's going to be next, but uh, we're starting to see early evidence of companies starting to um, try and test, iterate on new ideas. You see, you look at Bird uh, or Voy out of Europe. They are deploying kind of like electric uh, throttle only mopeds uh called the bird cruiser or the boy e-bike um and so we're going to start seeing companies start diversifying their fleets again and uh, i imagine we're going to see some very crazy experiments some crazy looking vehicles that try to attack different use cases whether that's having you know two people on a vehicle which is great for date night or having cargo so you can bring groceries home from from the store or, you know, having Bluetooth audio and speaker systems so you can pump jam- uh, music uh, through, through, your, your, through your vehicle on your ride home from work. Uh, we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of iteration uh, and different experiments over the next probably, you know, couple years uh, in this space. And it, it's very similar uh, analogous to uh, where mobile phones were in the early 2000s, late 90s where you had hundreds of OEMs and manufacturers, you know, with flip phones, candy phones, uh, slide out phones, tablets, everything in between. Uh, and we're kind of just entering that stage of shared micromobility where we're going to see these experiments. A lot of them, most of them are going to fail, but I expect to see some kind of dominant form factor emerge that's, you know, used for the shared context, but also maybe uh, for personal ownership in the future that maybe the, a lot of people call it the iPhone model, but I don't know when that will be. I can't make prediction on that, but it's going to be a fun couple of years uh, moving forward. Uh, and then on the question of autonomy, well, I, I like to think about it as, you know, a traditional auto, uh, you know, vehicle autonomy, full-size cars, passenger vehicles, but there's also autonomy experiments and startups on the micromobility side. And we started seeing that early on with food couriers and delivery robots that are using sidewalks and bike lanes. Uh, but I think people have started to realize that if you could start making these micro small electric vehicles autonomous, they solve a lot of urgent business needs and pain points right now, whether that's repositioning vehicles that are illegally parked or getting them into denser areas that have high ridership and increased revenue per vehicle. Uh, so for me, I'm really excited about the experiments going on micro autonomy. I've seen everything from three wheel scooters to two wheel e-bikes uh, with autonomy attached to them. I think it's really interesting because they're lightweight vehicles. Uh, if something happens, they can stop in relatively short distance. Uh, they also can use, you know, compute and sensors from smartphones. So you don't have these very super expensive uh, technology stack sitting on a vehicle. Uh, so for me, I'm really interested in seeing how the different experiments in micro autonomy will play out over the next few years. 
Uh, we're already seeing in Singapore, in Malaysia, a company doing uh, teleoperations with three-wheel scooters that are actually driving the vehicles on the sidewalk uh, to park them or to put them in a, a, a high-demand area of town. So be on the lookout for how micro-autonomy evolves over the next next five years. I'll take the other the other side there. I'm actually not excited about micro-autonomy. I think it's Everyone wants to be in micromobility. Everyone wants to be an operator or an autonomy player. And it's that's what we saw in cars. In the world of cars, you either want to be the ride-sharing company, like the hot tech companies or the ride-sharing companies and the self-driving car companies. The ride-sharing companies really did work out and we have big public ride-sharing companies and the self-driving car companies get acquired for a lot of money (laughs) and don't really do too much. So I think autonomy is further out than we think it is. And where micromobility really works is in cities where you don't need autonomy. If you have swappable batteries and have density in a city, the autonomy doesn't really do much. The autonomy gets exciting when you're thinking about suburbs, but there's so much urban areas that that's where I'm focusing on and thinking about. And maybe in three or four years, autonomy will open up e-bikes to the suburbs. That's interesting. Okay, now back to the sort of venture perspective. Help, help investors out there uh, understand what metrics they should be tracking um, and what's really important in terms of uh, unit economics in, um, in this industry. Yeah, uh, from my perspective, uh, this is really an asset management business, uh, operational operationally intensive and you really need excellence in deploying these vehicles, maintaining these vehicles, repairing them, charging them. Uh, And and some of the key metrics I would look at are are trips per day per vehicle. This is all for the shared uh, model of micromobility, but trips per day per vehicle. uh, Is it, you know, are you getting 10 trips per day? Are you getting two trips per day? Uh, That is a nice indicator of, uh, the market demand uh, and where you're positioning vehicle supply. Other key metrics is looking at retention of vehicles. How do you drive down uh, the number of churn vehicles in a market and have a model where you can predict how many vehicles you're going to lose within the course of a year of serving a market. And then uh, obviously for us, or if just, you know, the industry is looking how to generate more revenue uh, per day in a city Right now, most operators have been happy to serve any city they can get into, whether they're only allowed to deploy 50 or whether they are allowed to deploy 50 or 10,000 scooters. Um, I think, you know, moving forward, operators and companies are going to be a little more picky on which markets they serve because of local regulations and the amount of vehicles uh, they're allowed to deploy in, in, in a market uh, because they have to cover their fixed costs of, you know, running an operationally intensive business of asset management business. Uh, so uh, for, for me, those are the three, three metrics I'm looking at uh, on the sharing model. So for an operator, if I were to bet on a new operator, I'd want to bet on the person who's the best at winning permits and figuring out partnerships and running operations I don't really care about the tech and the hardware for a new operator. If they can get the government permits, figure out the best companies to work with, work with them, hire really good operations uh, and staff people. 
On the manufacturer side, on new vehicles, I'd want to see durability. How long does the vehicle last? Also, customer affinity. So if you have that vehicle next to other vehicles, will the customer pick it for the first time or after riding it? Do they come back and do they want to pick that vehicle over other vehicles? And then you get to the other parts of the business where the the lever is cost of charging cost or maintenance cost. So if you are vandalism cost, so on the uh, mesh networks or on improved GPS or on better sensors, how do you reduce the operations cost and sell to an operator where they can pay $100 for an extra sensor unit and make that back with a increased lifespan of three months or something like that? Well, guys, my, uh, my, my guests today have been uh, Victor Pontus and Michael Naka. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the Village Global Podcast. For people who want to learn more about uh, your, your work uh, and deeper on some of these thoughts, where can you point them? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as Victor Pontus, and my website is pont.is, so P-O-N-T dot I-S. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, Naka, N-A-K-A. Awesome. And make sure yeah, check out the uh, uh check out Spring. Yeah, follow these guys on Twitter and they've also written a lot of great uh great great pieces on, on the industry. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 